dedicated to trots racing. On winners, welcome to Gate Speed. And let's talk trots on this week's edition of Gate Speed. Um, joining us is Jason Bonington and Blake Redden. How are you guys? Yeah, good nuts. Uh, looking forward to covering off the weekend and uh, and getting towards what is a you know a big weekend with the four group ones at Tabcourt Park, Melton, and after that, Bon, I guess. As I mentioned yesterday on the review, there's a little bit of respite. Yeah, sort of. Uh, never, never really true respite, I don't suppose. But it, um, why would you want it anyway? Uh, a really good. Well, we'll get to this meeting on yeah. Saturday night at Tabcourt Park, Manangle. It was interesting anyway. Yeah. The, the Miracle Mile went down, and six Group Ones in total, I reckon. And there was some uh, intriguing results. But we'll probably get to the fact that. It probably wasn't a typical Miracle Mile meeting in a lot of ways, so we'll touch on a number of factors, and hopefully the snooze man, Spinozia, will join us a little bit later in the show to talk about Don't Touch the Juco in the Prince of Speed Group 1 final on Saturday night at Tabcourt Park. So plenty to uh, plenty to talk about, Nath, that's for sure. That is for sure and certain. Well, let's have a, a look at some of our points, and first of all, Spankham sizzles in Mile Triumph. We discussed this a fair bit, Bakes, um, on a number of different platforms and forums to try and work out what was a very confusing miracle mile on uh, on a number of levels, I guess. Um, one thing we probably assumed largely was that the fixer would be able to get across poster boy early in the fair. We probably didn't realise exactly how easy that was going to be. It only took... 50 or 60 metres before the fixer was across. Then there was the conjecture, OK, we, we believe the way the All-Star team generally operated, there'll be a hand-up situation somewhere. Will it be Chase Auckland because he's drawn a little bit better? Will it be, be Spankham because we believe Spankham's probably got more gates? But will someone kick up in between them? Will Tiger Tara launch at the start? Well, as it worked out, the fixer got there. Spankham just kept on drilling forward and it became extremely obvious in a very, very, very short period of time that Spankham was going to assume the front. And even though they've run spectacular time, I mean, the old Australasian record of 147.7, it's all been done at the back end in a sub-53 second final half. I take nothing away from Spankin because he has had an incredibly good season and he's a wonderful horse. I think best suited to short course racing based on his unbelievable performance in defeat on night two of the Inter-Dominion series. If you remember when he came from well back and ran spectacular sectionals and his ability to really run them off their legs in that final half. I mean, we talk about poster boy being, you know, one of the quickest horses going around. He couldn't actually keep up in the final 300 metres when Spankham really put the um, the foot to the floor. Um, the fixer did a great job to stick on, even though he made virtually no impression on Spankham. But it was an unusual miracle mile, it has to be said. It probably wasn't the most exciting addition in the history of the race. Well, definitely wasn't the most exciting addition uh, in the history of the race. But Spankham, as mentioned, has had a really high-quality season and deserves another big Group 1 win. Yeah, I mean, I think if you talk about the competitiveness of the race, you can get a pretty straight line on this. The two-year-old race, the Sapling Stakes, they went in 26-5 first quarter over the mile. And in the Miracle Mile, the Group 1 for open eight horses, they went 26-9. So, I mean, I think that probably says it all, doesn't it? It, it was a relatively uncompetitive race. Tiger Tara didn't make a move. I thought, probably in hindsight, Chase Auckland could have stayed off the pegs and, and ended up in a pretty good spot. Uh, and, and from there, I mean... I think that was an indication, probably, I think, when we look back on it, an indication probably where they thought... Well, I, I don't think that's true because he's, his run was excellent, but... Um, but he was driven conservatively. Why was he driven so conservatively yeah, at the start? That's, I guess, maybe potentially Luke McCarthy thought Poster Boy might hold up. I'm not sure. Or he may end up just three poles, not four poles. But... Um, 
regardless, he'll he'll do the talking in the next 12 months rather than uh, right here and right now, I, I believe. But I just, yeah, I mean, I, it probably lived up to the expectations I had of the race. And, and that's, again, no knock on Spankham, no knock on the fixer because they're both high-quality horses. But um, as I mentioned, that, that first quarter is... Uh, is relatively uncompetitive in this grade. Yeah, yeah, and look, at the end of the day, it's the richest race in Australasia at the moment, million dollars, and Spankham's done a terrific job. But, um, yeah, no, I guess from in, in terms of the history of the race, it wasn't one of the great additions, but it was, I guess, confirmation of one thing, that the All-Star Barn, the Mark Purden Barn, who probably have appeared at different times over the last six months to be not quite as ruthlessly dominant as they have been over the last five or six years. They absolutely owned the night and they owned the feature race, the Miracle Mile. That's for sure. And also uh, Princess Tiffany, indomitable in oak success. I reckon in Breeders in the Breeders' Crown uh, program last August, and I, I said this a number of times uh, last week, that I thought that Prince, our Princess Tiffany's performance was arguably the most breathtaking of the uh, of the night on, uh, on Breeders' Crown night. And I reckon the same can be said for the six group ones on Saturday night at Tabcourt Parkman Angle. She was absolutely monstrous, bullied her way to the front and kept running for 1,200 metres, went pretty much, um, you know, 27, 27, 27 for the last three quarters and just said, I am just so much better than every other horse in this race. I'm just going to own you, dominate you and make sure you know next time that we meet that you're not going to be able to compete with me. Kualo was such a wonderful filly, but she had to park outside our Princess Tiffany and she was in horrible pain a long way out from home, as was everything in the race, really. Uh, Michael Gear and I, I noticed tweeted after the race, Bakes, that if she'd been in the ladyship mile, as a three-year-old, she would have won. Now, I know she had that little lull period, obviously, in the North Island of New Zealand before coming across here for these races. But I think one thing we can say is our Princess Tiffany, at her very best, is a very, very special commodity. And she confirmed that once again on Saturday night. Yeah, I guess that, that lull you speak of is just sort of lingering in the back of your mind in terms of you know, going off the deep end to declare that she could have won a ladyship mile or she, she would have been really competitive, I'm sure. She would have been competitive pending barrier draw, but, you know, she's a three-year-old filly. She was clearly better than her rivals on the weekend. It was an excellent win. It proved that she's back on track, but, uh, you know, I'm not knocking her whatsoever, but I just want to see her do it over and over again now. I want to see her come back as a four-year-old and prove that she's a really good sprinter, um, compete against the best quality mares and, and potentially open grade, and then we'll learn more about her. But in terms of, I guess, raw potential and raw speed and, and what she's done in the last 12, 18 months... You know, you could argue that since the days of Adore Me, she's probably the the most exciting commodity of the female pacing gate we've seen. Well, I was just about to ask you that question. I mean, the the, the two best three-year-old fillies of the past she's all, decade would have been oh. Adore Me, Dream About Me, and now she's our, all our Princess Tiffany. Oh, she's all rock goes into the mix yep. as well, yep. So that would be the four most exciting. Where, do you, where does our Princess Tiffany sit with those other three right now. Yeah, I mean, at this early stage of the season, I'd, I'd definitely have her below She's a Rock, given what she did. But in terms of excitement factor and what might, might end up being at the end of the season, she's probably she probably sits a lot alongside of me. I would have thought your your opinion. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm willing to say she could potentially be as good as any of them. She probably reminds me more of Dream About Me than um, the others necessarily, because Dream About Me had that incredible versatility, and Princess Tiffany has shown that throughout the course of a New South Wales Oaks preparation. She came from last and used exhilarating speed to win her qualifier, and then it was ruthless brutality that's won her the final, and certainly Dream About Me was a very similar three-year-old to me. The one thing you can say is Dream About Me was dominant in a generation that included our golden goddess and Piccadilly Princess, who were both 
megastars in their own right. Do we know that there's any megastars among the three-year-old Phillies brigade at the moment? I would suggest probably not. I think there's her and there's a really big gap, and I'm not sure it's the strongest generation of three-year-old Phillies, though I think once Kualoa gets away from our Princess Tiffany again, she'll prove head and shoulders above everything else under the right circumstances. But right now, I think that the sky's the limit for our Princess Tiffany because, as I mentioned, she's now in the space of two genuine feature meetings provided, I reckon, the performance of the night on both occasions. So she's pretty special, Nards. Definitely. And Mad Max, last man standing in Furious Derby. Crazy stuff here, Bakes. Do you like the, the, the player tried to work there with the words Mad uh, Max Fury Road? Yeah, not nice. Furious Fury. Yeah, yeah. yeah okay. Very good. Very good. Yeah. F- crazy race. Oh, just... Uh, mind-boggling really what went on and uh, and unfortunately the toll is already being taken. We've seen that, that Muscle Factories attend an injury and we saw with the Miracle Mile last year what happened to, to a number of those runners coming out of the race so I fear for some of the beaten horses in terms of um, what it exactly will do to them mentally and physically. Yeah, well just to, just to put a put it into context. They've gone 151.5 for 2,400 metres as three-year-old Colts and Geldings, um, more than a second faster yep. than the previous track record, which in fact had been equal the week prior in a race won by Demon Delight over Muscle Factory. I don't... It was funny because it was a night where I believe too many horses for a Group 1 meeting were driven conservatively, and yet we had this one race where it was just out of control virtually from the word go. What you can say about Max Delight is that he was at least used up initially. So the win was really meritorious because he flew the gate and it's never easy to do that and still have something left at the finish. He crossed a lot, Max Delight. He ended up getting shuffled back in an economical trip from there. But the son of uh, Lady Euthenia, so he's beautifully bred, was a most deserving winner. Huge kudos both to David Aiken for training the top two and... (laughs) If he or anybody in the camp had a Quinella, <laughs> they'd be feeling pretty good about themselves. $71 the winner, $81 for Malcolm's Rhythm running second. And well done to the Shepherd and crew in, in total because Lock and Varats ended up running third after being involved in uh, a lot of the early pace, really. So Lock and Varat once again has done an extraordinary job for very little reward. That has been his life, unfortunately, so far. Demon Delight was excellent. Did get, obviously, a conservative run at the back of the field, but he is proving to be... A very, 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 very good three-year-old, which we suspected he was going to be. And then, obviously, there were some doubts that were cast over that um, that initial prognosis after his run in the Victoria Derby final. But the way he's going right now is absolutely exceptional. All down to light loom, but didn't kick on. Four big men's run, I thought, was really good. Um, finished off nicely and was almost sort of, without being on the back of anything, he was sort of running out bums in the concluding stages. I've got a funny feeling, Hurricane Harley, something's gone oh, here wrong he again goes. here. Here he goes. Well, you know that he had a problem in the Victoria Derby final. Yep. I think the similar... similar I'm not going to outline exactly what it, what it was, but I believe he's had a similar problem probably in the New South Wales Derby final. Muscle Factory, we know, just had to do too much work. Uh, and Centenary, I think they queried the performance. I don't know how you could query the performance. They've gone 151.5 and he found himself in the breeze. So I couldn't query the performance of anything in the race necessarily. Um a great win to Max Delight, but um, it's going to be a difficult race to follow form-wise because they're not ever going to run 151.5 again over 2,400 metres, these horses. No, and um, as I said, the toll is already appearing to have taken um, taken hold with Muscle Factory, who will be out for a while. I should mention, Todd McCarthy did a, an interview with Dave Stanley, I think, for maybe Tab or the Big Sports Breakfast yeah. during the week, and he um, Dave Stanley asked him, outside of Tiger Tower, anything else on the night that we should look out for, and he said... 
I think Max Delano is a good each oh, way. You'd hang your head on that sort of thing, wouldn't you? That's pretty good. That's outstanding. That was Jody. pretty good, and I think he was twenty six dollars out to out to seventy to one. So um, they had a big Jody. impact, didn't it? <laughs> <laughs> well, they'll know yeah. next time. Well, no, next time Toddy talks. Hopefully some of Todd's friends have, uh, have had an each-way bet. But, no, I mean, as you say... Vodka and lemonade's all round. Yeah, there's not there's not much to, to report here other than hopefully they all come through it well and it'll be interesting to see um, how they all shake out next season. Also, Mayor retires on a dream result. Don't have to wait till next season. Surely well, there's going to be some big three-year-old yeah. races coming up later in the, uh, later in the season. Uh, yeah, dream about me. This again... Oh, we don't want to be negative. It was it, for some reason everybody in the world said that our dream about me would be crossed at the start. All of the um, all of the critical experts from north of the border felt that you would be crossed comfortably, and as it turned out, nobody had any interest in attempting to cross her at the start. They've run a first quarter. You spoke about twenty six yeah. nine as being moderate, twenty seven point five, which. In Melton terms, for those who focus more on Victorian harness racing, that's about a 28.5 first quarter. 29 even. Yeah, well, I usually tack on a second, basically. Um, So you're talking about, you know, something that even for a Metropolitan Maiden first quarter isn't particularly flash. Uh, And our dream about me from there was never going to lose 53.9 on the way home. She is not the same horse she was. As a three-year-old, that tells you how good our dream about me is because she was so unbelievably gifted as a three-year-old and even a bit beyond that. She's turned probably into more of a um, more of a stayer and more of a grinder as her career has progressed and she has had a few little um, niggling injuries over the time. So for her to come out and run a really fast mile, 150.1, isn't unbelievably quick, but it's certainly very, very good. And she totally dominated her rivals. Once she found the front in such a soft first quarter, they were never, ever going to get anywhere near her. Uh, the pain for me in the race, obviously, Bakes was tell me tales. I thought she was phenomenal the way she finished off. When you consider they've gotten home in a final half of um, 53.9, and I reckon she's made up six or seven metres from last in the concluding stages. Share the Road was pretty good. Carlos Pixel was... Uh, not bad, but it was totally dominated at the top end by those who got the soft drip in the early stages. And our dream about me gets to go off now and get served by, well, I don't know who they'll choose. I don't know if you have any intel on that. Sweet, oh, sweet Lou, $1.10. Yeah. yeah uh, so that, that's going to be the future for dream about me. And no doubt she will produce more superstars on the racetrack. But from a race spectacle... I mean, There's not a lot to report. No, I mean, as we've sort of talked around it a little bit, but outside of the derby, it was it was a bit ho-hum the whole night, really. Do you think... I've, I've actually tried to think about this a little bit. Do you think that a lot of the talk during the week and the fact that the last few um, big miracle mile nights at Menangle, it's been so difficult to get to the head of affairs. We spoke about it all week. It's so hard to lead in these races and it's so hard to, to do the work early and still have something left at the finish when they're breaking 150 or breaking 149. Do you think it has engendered it engendered a, a particularly conservative mindset with a lot of the drivers and not that they thought, I just don't want to be in the early battle because it's going to kill me. And at the end of the day, they've played into the hands of those that were at the head of affairs in these races. I think it's it's to some degree possible. I also think a large degree is just the, the shape of the races. The Miracle Mile was not a vintage Miracle Mile. There were, there were but this of, race, for instance, what it, surely you would have thought... Cherry someone, Stride should have... Someone yeah. would have thought... Um, our dream about me is a little bit vulnerable here. Yeah. Her, her vulnerability is early speed. Yep. She was drifting 10 cents per second towards the, 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 the race start, and yeah. nobody had a lash. Yep, no, fair, fair shout. Um, I, I don't know. I don't know what to make of it all, but 
you know, great for connections, great for her to retire on the winning note, given how good we know she's been. And um, and outside of that, uh, pretty hard race. One to of follow. the best mares of the past. Oh, Philly's mares over the past 10, 15 years, I reckon. So it is the right result for her, Nance. And uh, then also uh, Chevy Shakes in Hamilton track record. This caused a bit of controversy, didn't it, over the uh, over the weekend on Sunday? We had a, a new race out at Hamilton, the uh, the Hamilton Sprint or the Hamilton Mile, and um, they went one fifty point six. Jillaby Chevy absolutely monstered his rivals and um, and broke the track record. I suggest it's the fastest time we've ever seen in Victoria. I know the the Melton track record might be one fifty point seven. With uh, with Cruz Bromat. Oh, is it? I thought it might be one fifty point three. Oh, you, 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 I think you probably researched that. No, nope, um, nope, just guessing. But uh, uh, and that was hand timed as well. But uh, yeah, no, it probably is, and it probably does. Julian Bishop is a very good horse. Yes, and I reckon with a few runs back behind his butt, I would love to see him possibly progress to the absolute top level because they've always had such a big opinion of Julian Smith Mole in the gun for him. Well, he's got to, he's got to go and try and attack those really big races, and I wouldn't be surprised if short course racing is his ultimate strength because he's probably been crushed on a couple of occasions or things just haven't worked out when he's been in brutally run races over longer trips. So maybe this is his go in life, but uh, it did probably um, engender some discussion about... That's that's a good thing for the club. Just whether people believe it or not, people are talking about the race, which is... It's half a win, isn't it? I think the fact of the matter is that... um, it's clearly, I mean, it's the, it's it's a great concept because you, you should have it at Victoria's fastest track, and Hamilton is mm. Victoria's fastest track. I reckon, you know, you could. It's just the starting point at Swan Hill, which makes it impossible, I reckon, to run that kind yeah. of time. Swan Hill's obviously incredibly fast as well. For those who are doing their form going forward, you have to tack on some time to that mile rate. Clubs are all, they, if you want to compare ordered. it, they are ordered the times and the the points of. Um, oh, I can only time I, I, I haven't gone out personally and done uh, no, uh, right, the track, but you would imagine they are that, audited. you would imagine the trip and the and the uh, and the sectional points would be ordered. Yes, I would. I could only imagine, but yeah. uh, just it's, just it's, for it's people that think it's not a real number for nah, it's a real number. It's a real yeah. number. One fifty point six is a real number. I've got no doubt about that. It's just the composition of the track and how unbelievably quick it is, and the fact that it's we believe it's downhill through that final uh, that final portion of the race going into the straight, which probably helps, but. Um, yeah, really great time for Julie Bichevi. He's now got that on his record for all time, the son of Roll with Joe. And as I mentioned, he's a very high-quality animal. Um, but from a full man analysis point of view, I think everyone knows just to tack on a little bit of time if, you, if you're changing tracks because there's no other track in Victoria. I don't think where Julie Bichevi will be going 150.6. Now we've got a special guest joining us, uh, Chris Venosio, to talk about uh, his runner in the Group 1, uh, Prince of Speed, on Saturday night. How are you, Chris? Yeah, going great. Thanks, Nadia. You've got Don't Touch the Juco, who's lining up. Look, you've got to ask... We've got to ask you, where, where, where's the name come from? There's got to be a good story here. Uh, no, but I'm not sure, but you'd have to ask the owner, John Paul, but he's, I think one of his brothers is called Icy Icy Earl and another one's called Whiskey Business, and they've all just got a bit unusual names, but I'm not sure exactly where he Feels got this like one from. alcohol might be involved at some point um, if we're talking about uh, Whiskey Business, but uh, Chris, he's... He's clearly a very progressive horse. We've seen him, uh, you know, I thought personally early doors he, he might battle to make it, but he's quickly developed and his win in the heat was, was excellent. What have you thought of him sort of through his progression of his career so far? Uh, well, I've always known he had a bit of ability, but it was just sort of a matter of giving him time when he needed it. Like he had a couple of runs as a two-year-old and uh, sort of had the better races in mind, but he wasn't quite ready and then put him out and brought him back early as a three-year-old to get him ready for the Vic bread 
uh, platinum final, which he ended up running fourth in, but he still was having a couple of little niggles, and but he's just uh, really just continued to develop the last couple of months, and like he's run at Maryborough, how he finished off, he just trotted beautiful, and I'm hoping he can go better again for the final on Saturday night. Snooze, oh, just for the listeners, by the way, Juco is a trade name assigned to a product line of automotive lacquer developed by the DuPont company in the 1920s. So we, we take from that what you want. But um, gate one, we know you're a you're an educator of horses and I, I think you're the kind of guy, Snooze, who likes to um, protect young horses and make sure you don't bust them up. Gate one means you're going to have to be you know, relatively aggressive without going over the top on Saturday night. Is it a good draw for Don't Touch the Duke, our war is a little bit problematic. Um, well, it's probably not the first one I would have picked for him. Like, I did lead on him from one at Melton a little while ago. But um, it's probably just having a quick look at it. He, he probably gets crossed and maybe a couple of times. But I'm not too stressed. It's more just about him. Like, and then obviously I'll, I'll need to be able to find a bit of space at the right time. But, yeah, with him, the way he's finishing off of if I can keep him just balanced and trotting and relaxed early, I'm not too stressed whether I'm where I end up. Just need the gap at the right time. What, what does the rest of the season look like for him, Chris? If uh, if he measures up here as we expect, is he a horse that you can sort of push on with and, and Vic Bread Super Series and Breeders' Crown are on the agenda or not so much? Uh, well, yeah, everything. He's just getting better and better. Like, and, you know, the quarter he ran to run like 27-6, I think the leader ran last start and, like to come three wide and probably run low 27s. I think that's, you know, just about as quick as most... It's about as quick as I've gone on a trotter, and he did it really well and came through it really good. But, uh, like, I've just got to keep keep him sound, and, yeah, I'll be aiming him at the better races for sure at this stage. So I'm hoping we can go good this Saturday night first, so... He's probably more known for his toughness than his speed, but it's a pretty good rap given you've driven sparkling success. Yeah, well, I think, you know, he's obviously the best horse I've driven and I'm not comparing the two of them or anything, but, like, just how quick he finished off, I was just wrapped that he could do it and, and at this stage of his career, like, and, yeah, he's just come through it really good. I, I think I can have him, like, a bit fitter for the final, so, yeah, we'll just, just need, need a bit of luck at the right time. Uh, another couple of uh, critical drives you've got going around on Saturday night. We should touch on Tough Munnock first of all. Um, really good performance. Had to sit parked last week in the Group 1 race at Tabcorp Park. Manangle draws wide again here. Never seems to get a huge amount of luck or fortune with the barrier draws, but drawn wide out there. Um, you can imagine he rolls forward. Is this an opportunity for him potentially if Tornado Valley has to come around at some point? He gets to play once again maybe the hunter rather than the hunter just off the speed here and do you feel he's a horse that's good enough to win a Group 1 of this nature? Because I'm looking at this field for the Australian Trotting Grand Prix on Saturday night, and I reckon it is clearly the best trotting race for the season. Uh, well, I think he's good enough. Like, he wasn't too far away in the Great Southern Star and just didn't have a lot of luck that night for Ricky. And I thought he went, like, he did all the work there, going 154 at Menangle. So, like, I've only talked to Ricky quickly. He'll come down a bit later in the week at this stage. He's sort of been at my place a couple of times when Ricky sent him down before. Um, yeah, like it's it's a he's gonna have to do a bit of work early, I'd say, from the draw and then yeah, just what sort of trip he gets then. Probably a couple of them inside like Chiron and that have been getting out good. So he's yeah, he just don't want to be doing too much work early and but um, I think he's a chance with the right run for sure. 
Anyway, Hugo's another one you've got in, Chris. He sort of improved through, well, very early in his preparation, but um, he was beaten first up but, but improved into his second run. Does he still have a little bit left to go in terms Plenty. of getting to his best? Uh, yeah, definitely he's still got more improvement to come, like the races for him later in the season, like the size and the breeders' crown or when you want to have him really wound up. But, like, I was quite happy with his... I was happy with him first up, and then he was better again on Saturday night, and I expect him to just uh, continue to improve, hopefully, through the season. And, you know, hopefully he can go good on Saturday night, but he's going to have to possibly do some work early from drawing barrier seven, so it won't be easy in that field. It was an exceptionally good three-year-old snooze, and you know, don't you, when no matter how good they are, you know, as each year passes by, you've got to improve because you know the others are going to improve as well. It, it, do you feel he's made a progression and he's going to be able to stay at that very top level with those very good horses that he competed with last season? Uh, well, that's definitely what we're aiming for. Like, It's tough for the four-year-old trotters. It's a tough season. There's probably not a heap of races. You've only got the uh, super size and the breeders' crown and probably the main four-year-old races. And if you win too quick, you're racing virtually the free-for-allers. So, like, he, he probably doesn't want to be over-raced this season, um, but we're able to give him a couple of months off after his three-year-old season. And, yeah, if he could sort of have eight or ten starts this season and running those better races, then you, you hope maybe next year he's, he's be running in the $100,000 race on that night, the Grand Prix and those sort of races. And, I, like, I think he's got the ability to do it. But, yeah, you, you need a few things to go right and stay sound and just look after him at the right times. Speaking of staying sound, a horse that uh, we've already mentioned a little bit earlier, um, sparkling success. He's obviously been off the scene for a little while now. Have you have you had any contact with John Mead in terms of where he's at? Is he still in a paddock? Is he back in light work? What's the the progress on him? Yeah, like Meadie's doing uh, sort of everything the vet says. So he's doing a lot of walking and he just jogs quietly every second day at this stage, and uh, sort of keeps getting his leg checked. But it'll probably be. I think it was September when he got injured and it'll be at least probably 14 months the program that the vets and media got mapped out. So it's a long time off, but he'll have sort of been in work for a fair while by the time he gets back to racing. So, yeah, I'm looking forward maybe at the end of this year he might be getting back. It'll be great to have a drive on him again. All this chat about what's going to happen in six or 12 months is real fun, Snooze, but we also <laughs> need money, mate, and you've got a few very good chances at Shepparton tonight. Um, we'd love you to declare maybe three of them, but if you can declare one or two, that'd be nice tonight. Um, yeah, like Kai Valley Finn was terrible last start. He was terrific first up in the Central Vic, but um, he's had a couple of weeks since his last start. Um, probably, I'm not sure he's probably favourite. I don't look at, haven't looked at the odds too much, but he trialled good last Sunday. I'm hoping that he should step away and hopefully be too good for that field. And uh, before we do let you go, Chris, you've, I think I've best betted one tomorrow night. You have been winning everywhere, so you're probably a man to follow. But Rosie Sambrosi, can she win uh, tomorrow night? It's an even race, but but winnable? Uh, I'll be going forward looking for the front, and like she was good. Got beat by a pretty nice horse last time. And, yeah, I'm thinking if, if I can find the front, she'll be pretty hard to beat. That's basically that's a yes, good. Mate. That's, that's really You know good. what that is? I'll translate that. I'll Google Translate. That's yes. Yes, she wins. Uh, <laughs> really appreciate your time, Snooze. Hopefully you have a uh, terrific night on Saturday night at Bicana's headquarters, mate. Thanks very much, guys. There is Chris Spinosio. Well done, guys. Uh, we'll talk again soon. Cheers, Nuts. Thanks, Nuts.
This week's edition of Gate Speed in the World Harness. They're now at the boxes at Gawler. Here's Rain.